from the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio. You're tuning in to the Cyber Hub Podcast. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. What is up, security gang? And welcome to another exciting episode of the Cyber Hub Podcast. I'm live in Israel with my good buddy, Demi Ben-Ari. He is the head of security CTO, co-founder here at Panarays, and we're in their offices in Tel Aviv. Which, by the way, I did see the building flying in. <laughs> yeah, and it's orange, huge and orange. It's so like weird to see. I, that. I grew up in Denver. You know, I did like a good part of my life in Denver. Denver Broncos are orange. So anyone who's a Bronco <laughs> fan who's listening, like all my childhood friends who listen to the show, will tell you, "Oh, you're in an orange building," because I didn't like the Broncos. <laughs> I'm sure they would love seeing an orange building. I took a picture of it, and I'll, I'll, I'll post that. As as in, in the post edit of the show for all of y'all to see just how awesome this building really is. <laughs> and by the way, you see it driving on the highway. Like we were driving up to Jerusalem yesterday, and I was like, "Hey, look, there's the Panerai's building. You can see it off Ayalon." Um, so so it's brilliant. Um, Demi and I are going to be talking to all of y'all today about generative AI, good, the bad, the ugly, and the truth, and whatever will happen in the future, probably. You know, so this is a uh, uh, an ultimate villain quote. Uh, in today's world, but Vladimir Putin about five, six years ago said, whoever wins the AI battle wins the digital supremacy race for the next decade. Now that we've seen generative AI and <laughs> chat GBT, can you disagree with Putin's statement? Not at all. Not at all. And I think it can take actually a twist to both directions. Firstly, adopting technology. He, he kind of meant that and alluded to that, that uh, whoever will adopt the technology will leverage the abilities that it actually brings will be the winner. But with that comes, again, the flip side of the mega, I would say, landscape of threats that actually come, both in the aspect of uh, privacy, security, technology, and all of these areas, because the, the ability is not always homegrown, right? And all of the large companies, and you mentioned like ChatGPT as, uh, as of an open AI product, right? And Microsoft, right, I acquired them. Google and Amazon and Alibaba, everybody has this ability, I think, like going 10 years back, right? Even technology companies actually had created some kind of implication with AI and generative AI with the evolution that it actually brings. But again, not everybody has the resources to actually create that. So what most, I would say, technology companies and even not like high-tech companies, et cetera, will do, they will buy this ability from a provider, OpenAI was one of these providers, right? And then everything bad can start happening, like all of the third-party services that we're using on a day-to-day basis that we pass our information to and also like give them access to our information internally. See, I- I'm really hesitant of, 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 of AI, and I'll tell you <laughs> why. So one, I, I pay OpenAI. I use the tool, it's a, great um, tool. a lot um, of you, I've used it in, for, for a few things. One, I've used it to help me fix my posts, like to make more interesting content. It mm-hmm. does not write all my content, though. I want to be crystal clear about <laughs> that. My content is still my content. Uh, I still write it, but I use AI sometimes to give me a more... I'll write a paragraph and say, hey, AI, give me a better way that, to, to make this paragraph uh-huh. sound better. And it does, and it does an amazing job doing it. My concern around generative AI is... And, and I'm going down the threat road here, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Have you seen how many mobile apps are being promoted as an open AI mobile app? Have AI, like that scare, as a practitioner, I'm scared of that. I wonder how many of like employees 
and just random people are yeah. downloading fake AI apps and thinking they're working with AI. Yeah, and it can be a human AI behind the scenes and eventually like not getting the benefit of what they're offering. And again, because it's a hype cycle, like most hype cycles. And I think that even not the fake on the other end of something that does not give you the value that you're, you're purchasing right now, uh, how can you evaluate between both? If I give you a fake app and a real app, will you as a common like uh, person, like uh, leveraging technology, will, will you be able to actually like differentiate between them? How can you evaluate them? I, I, I don't think you can. I mean, so, so generative AI to me as a practitioner has unbelievable use cases, mm -hmm. right? And you and I were talking about this kind of pre-recording. Yeah. We, we've been, we've, we've talked more pre-recording than we probably will on this <laughs> recording um, and in, in this episode, but we've got plenty more content uh, that Demi and I will bring you, I promise. But there is an aspect that I think is, is, is extremely uh, uh, critical when it comes to generative AI that's, that's being missed from a threat perspective. It's not just the fake AI or human AI. It's the data sharing within exactly. that AI, right? Because mm -hmm. you kind of brought it up and I've been processing privacy and then yeah. I'm going like, <laughs> well, forget privacy. Let's talk data security. You and I both exactly. kind of wear two titles, right? We're both a CTO and a CSO. You're respectively at Panarays. I'm yeah. an AP4. Right. And and so we, we both of us kind of get that sense of, well, we've got to run technology, but we've got to worry about data security a whole exactly. lot. How do you see AI threatening data security? Like what's your biggest fear around AI and data security? Uh, I would say that in a not politically correct way, human stupidity does not have any boundaries. And again, I'm not saying that because people are mean, because they don't exactly know how to classify risk. So when somebody takes their code base and asks the generative AI, please make this code better, probably they will do a pretty decent job because they have processed a lot of information and done all of these things over and over again. But right now you just gave all of your IP, again, to another provider. You have no clue how they're storing that, right? The, the actual like impl implementation of the technology itself. And... Assuming you already identified that this like data leakage happened, how do you revert that? I don't think that there's a way today because everything is right now being classified in the model, right? Right. Everything is learning. So that can be detached. I, I, I don't know a mechanism today that actually does that. And I'm working closely also as an advisor to a lot of, uh, you know, AI-based, machine learning-based startup companies. And technically, it's really hard to achieve that ability, but also going the other way around, not only the model, where is this data stored, right? Are they storing this data? Maybe they can be processing it and removing it. You have no clue because right now you purchased a service for, I don't know, $29.99 or something like that. And you have literally like nobody to speak to. So right now, when I'm speaking to our developers in the company, et cetera, I'm, I'm literally like giving them boundaries of what can be achieved. And uh, we're a security product, right? We're recommending things to our customers of how to remediate uh, uh, different kind of things that we can find from the external uh, footprint perimeter, uh, open source intelligence, and all of these things. So if I give the IP of the company or something like that to improve the product, I can do that both internally with the code base, other stuff that we also process in the information. But I gave them the boundaries of no uh, no way in hell that you're giving our customer data to 
that entity, no matter like how secure they are or whatever, even if it's open AI that were purchased by Microsoft and it's a huge company and yada, yada, all of that. But if it's something that is a general case recommendation about cybersecurity practices and how to, you know, remediate things or even create internal processes that are in the outfacing product, right? This is something that I can take that data. This is our proprietary data that we've created and maybe refine that, right? And create something that is much more efficient, efficient and effective, I would say, for cybersecurity practitioners. We have a cyber support team that gives, you know, answers and some, sometimes recommendations to customers. So basically, it actually makes sense for us to take our own data. This is something that we own and, uh, you know, we've created as an IP. It's not the crown jewels of the company, right? Because it's like basic security practices that you need to uh, remediate and create some kind of mitigation around that. And that's great because right now, if I can phrase that better, uh, explain that, broaden that, because we're taking the, you know, uh, masses crowdsourcing type of information, that's great. But again, it's a big no-no of our customer data, as an example, I don't know, security questionnaire information that we're passing to that AI to answer better security See, questionnaires. To me, to me, the you know, you and I were talking about people using chat GBT potentially or, or mm -hmm, AI, mm -hmm. let me give you buzzwords here, um, to answer security questionnaires. And I'm wondering, could we reverse that? Meaning recognize that AI answered the security questionnaire wow. and That's disqualify <laughs> it, right? This questionnaire wasn't 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 done by human. It was wow, done that, by AI. Seriously, that's spot on because I had that, this conversation, I think, with three different CISOs in the past, like, two and a half, three weeks. Um, one of the processes that are being conducted in the audit process, right, or the workflows, I would say, that happen is the communication between the auditor and the receiving end CISO or the security practitioner. The way that you respond to that, right, uh, the, uh, I would say, time that it takes you to answer, the quality of the information that you're providing, et cetera, and also the evidence are the things that are the interaction between me, the auditor, and the audited entity. It, literally, the CISOs that are customers of ours told us, don't help the vendor, the third party, because I want to see the interaction itself, right? And if you autocomplete, it makes them lazy and they basically do not provide probably either correct information or they don't do that and invest effort in that. And I'm like, it's counterintuitive because you want to make this process efficient. So there is a middle. But you're also assessing risk. I know, I know, I know. Right? So you're assessing risk. And, and the thing about it is a human could say, yes, no, other, right? Or yes, no, kind exactly. of. And then provide partial or something like that, right? of course. Where they go, well, we're not necessarily SOC 2 compliant, but we do have X, Y, and Z, and here's the policies attached to it. Exactly. I don't know that that's something that AI could potentially do. By the way, maybe and it's AI, frightening to actually think about it. To me, the scary part is, you know, you and I have talked about my security questionnaires. My security questionnaires are designed based on my Intel background, right? So I ask the same questions five times, five different ways to see if the answers match up and I've got kind of like I remember, a, yeah. a, a, a solve, I've got an index to, to solve it. To, actually right? cross-reference between yep. the questions. So are they consistent in the answer or are they inconsistent in the answer? And if they're inconsistent, then we ask for evidence. Exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. If it's five different answers, then you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And now you pose a risk to my business. Now I take that to whoever the owner of that relationship exactly. is and, and go and say, look, we definitely want to help you get this business in the door. We want to help your team do it. Here's the risks that we see underlying coming from this vendor. 
here's what we're asking of them to do. And here's where we need your help to make sure we get it so that we can sign off exactly. on this organization and be to have access to our data or support <laughs> our business in any sort of way. And, and that's very difficult um, with AI because exactly. I think AI would pick up on the fact that this five questions, because it's smart enough, it's programmed to be a chess player. Exactly. Humans are programmed to be checkers. Mm-hmm. To respond quickly and to close the gap like immediately. Right. <laughs> I, by the way, I really liked something that we, I, wow, it was like three years ago that we spoke about it. The whole idea of wearing the hat of the BISO right now, yep. right? And trying to offer a, around the relationship, right? This is something that you won't be able to actually achieve with AI in any manner, in my opinion. And uh, ask, or maybe like uh, offer, I would say, the third-party entity to provide services to actually have this relationship in a much more secure manner. And basically, you know, like yield money to your business as the BSO of providing them, I don't know, if it's MDR services or other types of things, if you have a, a large enough team. Because, you know, uh, pr- practitioners like doing these type of interaction and relationship uh, management, uh, it sometimes can be a one-man or one-woman show, right? Yep. And then you don't have a team that actually does this relationship. So maybe even on the auditor part, leveraging AI can be something really like uh, like good. Well, so, so you know, we're, we've kind of danced around the idea of threats and goods, right? But the threats, I think, from AI are greater than the good that can come out of it today. Uh, I and agree. I, and, and I think it's because it's, it's so easy to be leveraged. So... I'll tell you something very interesting. Uh, one, one of the things I like to do often is whenever there's a new technology trend, I like to go into the app store and see apps how, how that, many? that use chat GBT or AI in their description. And I found an alarming threat that I think is dangerous for humanity in dating apps that say, wow. girls won't reply to you, AI will. That's awful. <laughs> it's taking all humanity, I think, from the type of interaction that people have. And, it, and it's weird, really. You I don't want to live efficient. in a virtual world. Uh, me neither, by the way. Right? Like, like this whole metaverse kind of creation of you putting on a VR headset and walking around metaverse. I yeah, Listen. I, I don't see that transformation I, happening. I got to tell right. you, man. I, I love Tel Aviv. Right? You know that. I mean, um, uh, coming in here today... You know, you, you drive around, you see the city, you're watching people. Um, people are so friendly in Israel in general, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, you stop, you get a cup of coffee somewhere or, or, or anything, and people are just so damn friendly. Last time I was here last year, you know, I was riding a, a, a scooter around town. And, <laughs> you know, people are just friendly everywhere you go, and I can't imagine having to do that in VR without smelling the ocean, right? It's weird. I agree. It's, it's, it's weird, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or without seeing, you know... Uh, uh, the variety and, and the different, you know, I, I don't think there's maybe excluding New York and London. You hear as many languages in a street uh, yeah, as agree. you do in Tel Aviv. I agree. I agree. I agree. Uh, right. I'm going back also to which like country I visited. Probably you're right. Yeah. Like I'm thinking London and, and New York are probably the most diverse big cities in the Western hemisphere. Mm hmm. I right? agree with that. Yep. Where you would probably have a, where you could probably walk one city block and hear at least a dozen languages. Easy. Mm-hmm. You can't do that in Moscow. You can't do that in <laughs> Shanghai. Yeah. Good right? luck with that. You might be able to do it in Australia, maybe in, in Melbourne. Melbourne's pretty diverse, but, but I know Canada, maybe. I don't maybe, like but uh, I... Canada doesn't count as a country, <laughs> though. 
Yeah, but, but but I I do agree with you. I, I think that there can be a lot of good out of that. I would say even like online translation that actually can occur and uh, similarities between something that can help with the communication between entities. But again, when we're looking on the technology aspect, it's cool. When we're looking on the threat landscape and how everything is pretty much exposed there right now with the with the way that it's implemented today, okay? It's bad, okay? Yeah. And, I, and I can like revert back. Let's go, I don't know, 20, 25 years back on the beginning of the web, right? The internet. Everything was kind of like open, right? What's SSL? What's encryption? Like who is worried about it? And right now you can understand that it's like the basic bare bone things that you have to implement when you do some kind of web interaction between two entities. And nobody looked on it in the past. Uh, online, like, uh, you know, um, um, commercials, right? S something that you buy and all of the marketplaces, et cetera, and all the providers of, uh, of goods. Today, right now, you're swiping your credit card or, you know, like paying with Bitcoin or like with super complicated things that here you have like a ton of problems. Back then, it wasn't like that, right? Nobody was worried. You didn't, like most people, maybe did not even have credit cards. So that problem did not exist, but the technology is practically the same, right? It's like passing so, information from one location to another, but it changed. And it's, so, so I, me, I think it will evolve like generative AI and other AI mechanisms will evolve. So, so the difference, I think, between generative AI to every other technological breakthrough we've had in the last two decades, mm -hmm. right, is while everything else was reliant on the evolution of technology to support its growth, right? Think of cloud computing. It took, right. it took, it wasn't just, okay, we're going to use someone else's data center and, and make our own data centers. It was, we need to have more powerful servers and we need to be able to have better OSs to manage mm -hmm, these mm -hmm. servers. So the growth of cloud was limited because of hardware challenges, because of location right. challenges, because of the time it Network, took to build it's it. Everything. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Generative AI is the complete opposite of that. Literally in the word of gen AI, generative AI, meaning it regenerates. Mm -hmm. um, remember that movie with Scarlett Johansson, Lucy, where she takes this drug and she starts to regenerate brain cells, brain cells. on her mm -hmm. own to a level where she's no, utilizing 100% of her brain. That's a generative AI. That's what I think most people don't realize is generative AI is not limited by any sort of hardware or software type mm -hmm. of deal because it's constantly learning and feeding its brain and it's evolving and as it evolves it'll evolve based on data it sees and exactly. i think this is going to be the greatest challenge of our decades and our of the next decade and probably the next generation like i think our kids you and i were talking about I our agree. kids earlier this yeah. morning right i think our kids are going to have to deal with it because there's already been cases that i've seen where security researchers have shown me how AI will bring an answer that's misinformation. Uh, but yeah, because it's, it it's cited in so many sources, because it's cited somewhere, generative AI says, well, it's coming from this source, and I'm not going to name sources and say this is one reliable. I'm not getting into that debate, right? Um, but but because it does that, then, then you're getting false information. Now, if you're relying on the fact that AI is supposed to be nonpartisan, nonpartial, giving you the facts... No, 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 I, I it's, won't. It's, it's not, but, but there are people who are being told that. 
that's that's blunt lie. <laughs> I must say. I agree, but there are mm-hmm. people today who think believe that, in that. I agree. Believe in that wholeheartedly, right? And to me, this is one of the greatest threats that exists out of AI and out of generative AI. Because when I think of cybersecurity, a lot of people always think about IT and network. Mm-mm. And I'm beyond that, right? I there's think, a I layer. Think yeah, exactly. There, there's the modern CISO. And the modern CISO, uh, I, I did a talk a few years ago on this. And, and one of the things I said about the modern CISO was the modern CISO is no longer an IT guy who sits in a side room where all the IT overflow stuff sits in his office. Mm-hmm. Or only a process guy, which that also exists, right? Guy. A policy, yeah. Right. The modern system today is someone who understands that cybersecurity is, is no longer, or it's, it's no longer vertical, it's horizontal. Exactly. Right. You, to you all know, domains. To all domains. You're, you have to be concerned about your employee's personal identity just as much as you have... Yeah, about the, your company's security. It's intercombined because they live that they're, they're like right, a, an entity that actually has a lot of like you know correct. Going Especially out. with the diverse, spread out work from home workforce that we have today. Mm-hmm. Not everyone is R two O. Even if you are R two O, you're only R two O two to three days a week, and then the rest of the time you're home. Exactly right. And so I find that to be the challenge with AI is it's the impact it's going to have on humanity. And that goes back to the apps I saw that say date humans. <laughs> humans yeah. won't answer you. AI will. You can still chat with someone and get pickup lines and understand how to interact with humans by playing around with the, the AI. Yeah. And mm-hmm. to me, I think that's that influence is going to be more disastrous than any cyber threat that's going to come out of AI. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like that's going to take away the magic that humans have when it comes to that interaction, you talked about the BISO. Mm-hmm. I think you nailed it on the head right there, Demi, right? That, 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 that. BISO. No, this is an amazing interaction, right? And I'm seeing more and more of uh, these types of roles actually coming up and not in, only in the largest banks in the world, right? Well, if you think of it, right, if you're a cybersecurity vendor today, honestly, right? And they have these field CISO roles. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Modern day sales guy with just with the CISO tag on it. Yeah. Higher BISOs. I agree. Mm-hmm. They will be able to actually connect the actual business of the company, right? To the, the technology aspect and the and business the of the customer. I agree, I agree. Right? And, agree. and don't put them under a quota. Mm-hmm. No, it's a different type of role. It's no, a no, different no, no. type of I role. Agree. You know, and, and with all due respect to the field CISOs that are out there doing the work that they do, they do amazing work. And we definitely, you know, like... I'm not, I'm not dissing them or the job that they do. I agree, I agree. But I feel like smart vendors should go down that BISO role because I, f- I feel like that BISO role, by the way, is also less intimidating. Of course. It's much more friendly and he understands you. And mostly like it's more, I would say, on the pre-sale engineering, but drop and omit the sales portion, right? And it's more like uh, somebody that helps you to uh, it's also drive customer your business. retention. Yeah, yeah. And so it's more on the customer success related type of uh, mm-hmm. entity. Uh, and I would like to also address one thing. We mentioned the whole like benefits that we can get from AI. And there are a ton more. We, we discussed that in the past in the prior to the recording. But the most important part on the threats is how to actually scope that and maybe even create some kind of safeguards around the implementation of the technology. We kind of mentioned that it's it learns, right? It 
generates itself and generates the way that it actually works. So how do you create some kind of scope to that entity or maybe even to the abilities that you give? OpenAI and ChatGPT as, a, as a, an implementation of generative AI and conversational AI was something that everybody poured a ton of information to. It was skewed. You know what? It wasn't skewed. It was like general, too general. Having to implement that in a financial institution, as an example, okay, maybe I'd rather not go to the general implementation. I would train that uh, in a self-hosted solution, right? This is like taking that to technology. And then I will drive the information inside there, what is relevant. And right now I, I scoped it, right? I also gave it boundaries because it can't expand out of the financial like realm, uh, around the data that I'm providing, I will create much more precise data. Maybe I won't be able to answer all of the questions because it's not general, but this is great because right now you will create the human interaction around it of a feedback loop. And somebody, a person, will be half manual and will be understanding how the data flows and driving it back to the machine. See, you bring up here, I think, how the brain of AI is going to have to function within an organization. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. And becoming a brain, right? <laughs> because right now it's not something that is iterative in the matter of the developers actually creating, you know, changing. It can happen instantly. See, see, I think this is the mind-blowing aspect of the engineering part of AI, mm -hmm. right, in generative AI. If you take companies that are 20 or 30 years old that have billions of lines of code at this point, yeah. mm -hmm. billions, mm -hmm. right? Their, their GitHub or looks insane, right? They've got projects. Exactly. Take a company like Microsoft. You brought oh, this is like crazy about Microsoft yeah. earlier, right? Yeah. Um, and and their investment in AI, I I actually see the good in AI, in, in those types of situations, mm -hmm. because the cost of reviewing billions of lines of code, doing manual Ma code reviews, the way you can do that, even not the cost, it's not tangible in like something that uh, you but know. With AI, years. it is. It's now becomes exactly. tangible. I mean, if I'm Microsoft and I'm looking at AI and after solar winds and all the zero days I've been through <laughs> in the last three years, yep. I'm looking at open AI and, and I know what they invested like uh, 200 million or $300 million, something, something like along that, those yeah. lines. I, I forgot that number. So, so people, you can comment and, and correct both me and Demi here. We're, we're not arguing that we know mm -hmm. what the number was. Yeah, but even bad, if they but took so, that right. and they said, go scan all of our source code now and show us all the major vulnerabilities. And if you, and, and, and if you think of what that does to Microsoft, no, it's who, are now a, who are now an ERP security company at this point, yep. like Microsoft is synonymous with security. Sentinel, I think, is what the third most popular SIM yep. on the mm -hmm. in, in, They're on the practically planet in every, every large enterprise in the world today. If you've got Microsoft 365, if you're a Microsoft E5 shop, you've got Sentinel. If you've got Sentinel, you're using Sentinel over Splunk. Mm -hmm. Splunk knows this. Everyone else knows this. Yep. Right. Like, like they're they're taking over that sim sim space. Mm -hmm. It's there's it's very hard to argue that you wouldn't use AI for that. You're like implicitly using that, right? Yeah. By literally every service that we're uh, using today, even on the, you know, we're using Zoom, Teams, etc. All of that is leveraging AI behind the scenes. Okay, without you even like ticking any box, you don't need to do anything. They're trying to improve the service. They're trying to whatever, like transcript. That's it. 
it's like I won't say it's game over, it's game on. And right now, we as security practitioners and technology people have to respond to that and try to classify. So if you know what, Let, let's like take it a step forward. Threat modeling, okay? Yep. In any threat modeling framework that I've seen today, I haven't seen focus in AI. But for years already, I would say five to 10 years going back, you're already like implicitly using that. Why are people not looking on it? Because it's hard. It wasn't tangible like right now where we're seeing the generative AI world and everybody are like, it's the next buzzword, right? Okay. You know, I'm wondering, you know, RSA is next week, right? Yeah. I'm wondering how many, like, so, so I'll put out a contest, right? I'll send someone <laughs> maybe a t-shirt um, or something. Um, if you send me every tag me in every picture that has AI on a booth in RSA. Oh, that's great. You can create a thread of people actually like uploading the, the images to the yeah. thread. And yeah, the yeah. most successful one will get an awesome t-shirt. Right. Like the best, the, the worst we'll do, we'll do the, <laughs> the, the top AI usage and the worst AI usage. Um, and both people who upload those will win a t-shirt or something. I like that idea. Uh, that's a contest right there. That's, that's just game, evolved. game on game, game on. on. Right. Cause like, <laughs> like to me that that's what I'm curious about now. I'll tell you what I am looking forward to black hat, black hat with open AI. Yeah. yeah. And I hear open AI is going to do a hackathon because they just launched their bug bounty program. So I hear they're going to do a bug bounty uh, at event black at black hat. Now that's something I can't wait to see uh, for both sides. Firstly, attacking the AI and attacking with the AI. Correct. I think both prisms are, are I think like, uh, I don't know, five years back, I did a, I did a talk at Imperva uh, about something related, again, to security and uh, open source intelligence. And Guy, uh, one of the founders of uh, Prefer, actually uh, told about work that he had done at Intel. Again, okay, seeing how you can like skew AI mechanisms, etc. This is one way of actually like fooling the AI right. to doing something. I mean, we talked about the misinformation, disinformation aspect of AI. I'm, 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 I'm no stranger to the fact that <laughs> um, what we're seeing today is very similar to how the U.S. Army released the internet. Wow. Right. If you go back the, that way back. When, when they, or, or Onion, think of the Tor browser. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When the NSA released Tor as an open source product, people were like, Oh, wow. When you're like, they've got something way better than this. That's why they're letting <laughs> this one out. Yeah. Because right? yeah. they've got something way, way better, far more advanced that this tool's become cumbersome. I agree. And again, it's frightening to think about all the things that we do not know about. And with, with AI. Yeah, 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 of course. I mean, I think about AI um, on, on, on the biometric side of the house. Mm -hmm. No, no, again, frightening as hell. And, and we don't have to tell people that it's a fiction because, dude, look at, on the Matrix. Like, literally, this is what they were alluded to, right? Or the Terminator, which is, like, even worse. I feel, I feel like... I don't know what's worse. You know what? <laughs> right now, looking back, what's worse, the Matrix or the Terminator? Well, the Terminator... Both of them kind of annihilated human beings in different ways. In different ways. Yeah. I don't know. What was a better journey, though? You know, I liked The Matrix better. Me too. As a movie, you know. As a, as it a tells movie, the story better. Over. Yeah. 
I'm gonna go with the Matrix on that one because because I'll tell you something. Having seen all the Terminator series ones, like I feel like the Terminator got overdone, but Matrix has never been overdone. Right? No one tried to make a Terminator uh, Matrix TV show. No, but there's been a Terminator TV show. They tried to do spinoffs for all kinds of characters <laughs> in the turn. They've ruined the story. That's what Hollywood does best, by the way. They ruin good stories by trying to do bad spinoffs. Yep. So because of that, you need to uh, catch that early, watch the first movies, and uh, pretend you don't want to watch the the rest so like john wick right yeah yeah like john wick like you know the guy never misses a shot but apparently everyone who shoots at john wick misses him <laughs> <laughs> sort of like the matrix but yeah kind of right <laughs> so that's it for for, for i know we're, we're a bit over time here but um everyone who's traveling to rsa have a good time panorays you're not going to be there i me, me personally no but we have a team that actually will be there but yeah Yeah, go check out the Panerai's booth, y'all, at RSA. Say hi um, if you're there at the event. Otherwise, I think we're going to be hanging out in Black Hat. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Vegas, here we come. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, everyone, for being here. Demi, James, thanks. Thanks pleasure. Here, Thank buddy. you very much. All right, y'all. Take care. Bye-bye. We love feedback, so make sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform.